Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Because if that person can't get through their day without three drinks at the end of that day, or whatever else their medication might be. It could be that the smoldering uh, fire in them that wants to go to the next phase, thrival, is just being quelled. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In the last episode, we reviewed the first three stages of engagement, crisis, survival, and security. Most people get stuck in those first two stages, engaging with chronic stress response that makes upward momentum seem insurmountable for most of their lives. And if they eventually do reach the stage of security, it can feel so comfortable that they settle in far too much. But for those of us that don't want to settle, or those of us that don't feel comfortable with security, there are two more stages, thrival and flow. In this episode, I'll talk about making these critical transitions, especially as it relates to your level of accountability and the accountability of those whom you manage. This series was originally recorded as part of the Accountability Path 2.0 course from courses.clearandopen.com. If you want to commit to doing this work and move toward a more engaged state of being, a more responsible, powerful place, the next best step is this course. You can find a link to the course in the show notes, and the full course catalog is available at courses.clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. On with the show. Yeah, so when you talk about your parents, that's my parents, both of my parents very much. Uh, my parents were both born and grew up in some combination of crisis and survival and they're, uh, they divorced when I was an adult and they have both achieved security. And, you know, they know about, you know, uh, me being on the webcast and we've had conversations about what we talk about and they aren't interested at all in going past the security at all. They're not even remotely curious in any way, shape or form. Have, have you found, is that kind of normal for people that grew up with that? Like is, you know, of course, it's okay that that's the top of their mountain. Is that kind of normal as a, a generational or experiential thing? Or do you see people that are there and then suddenly the curiosity develops and it comes? Or it's, in my experience, they're not even remotely yeah. looking. It, it's remarkable how not interested people can be, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, there's so many different factors, uh, personality type, experience, um, you know, what they were born into, the destiny type stuff, life lessons they have. And, um, but that kind of stagnation is very powerful. And, you know, it's like someone who works their butt off to get out of survival into security, especially if it takes them a while, if they don't get there until like they're 50, then they might be awfully tired. You know, I understand that. Just like, you know, I work my butt off to get from this stage to this. I have a sense that there's more maybe on an unconscious level, but this is fine. I got my TV and my, you know, beer and, you know, uh, that I'm set. I don't, I don't need anything else for the next 30 years. 
as long as a new crossword puzzle comes out in the New York Times every Saturday, you know, I'm fine. I understand that. There are times I wish that would satisfy me. You know, it just wouldn't. You know, that's sort of the other way. I wish I could go back and be satisfied with that kind of stuff, but I just can't. It's not me. So lots of factors. It's a good question. And I don't, I don't think you can make someone change phases except by helping them see how much pain they might be in. Because if that person can't get through their day without three drinks at the end of that day or whatever else their medication might be, it could be that the smoldering uh, fire in them that wants to go to the next phase, thrival, is just being quelled by whatever kind of substance or behavior they're using to not feel it, which is quite common. Right? So if someone gets bored enough uh, with security and hungry enough for more, they move on to what I call thrival. And thrival is the realm of manifestation, personal power. It's the question, let's get out there and see what this thing, being you, can do. It's bigger dreams than just stability. It's like, you know, I want to have 10 houses or have a business that's a national brand or whatever it is. Or for me in my 20s, it was being a martial arts teacher. You know, it's like wanting to push yourself to be something greater, not just get through the week. And this is, of course, an even smaller part of the population who uh, seeks to push themselves because this is choosing discomfort. Because that kind of thing, even in the smallest ways, it's going to require you to go out of your comfort zone. So that's the movement from security to thrival. It's, it's the ability to choose discomfort in your own self-interest to see what you're made of, to be willing to be tested. And that's a really key transition because many people, I mean, the difference between uh, security and thrival is the difference between mediocrity and excellence. It's very difficult to train an employee, for example, to pursue excellence if they live in security and have no ambitions for thrival. Why would they, right? Their life is dedicated to security, but when they come in to work, for you, in quotes, you want them to, you know, go out of their comfort zone and give it, give, give the job their all in a way that is not actually consistent with their values. You see how little sense this makes. Now, the job can be a platform for them, platform for them to see what's possible, and then that could change their whole life so that they become thrival oriented. But uh, <clears throat> I'm talking about five stages in the context of accountability. Because when you hold someone accountable as a manager, or whether you start to look at how life is holding you accountable, as the last couple of assignments have invited you to do, you want to know where you or the other person you're holding accountable is on this map, right? Because in each of these phases, you could say the person is being held accountable to a different set of principles. The person in crisis is being held accountable to see how much pain the constant drama is causing them so that they can take enough responsibility and make choices to stop attracting that drama. Right? An abusive relationship is an example. A woman who's being emotionally or physically beaten by her husband is going to be in more or less a constant state of crisis. 
Did you know there's different reports on it, but the last one I read was the, it takes a woman an average of seven times, uh, seven attempts to leave a man in a situation like that before she leaves him for good, seven times. And the, the psychology of um, what is difficult about that, it's a really, really sticky situation. I've been in an abusive relationship on the receiving end. I wasn't physically abused, but they, I was uh, emotionally so. And what I can say from my experience is the now I'm good to you, but you live in fear of losing that. That was exactly how I was raised by my mother. It was a lot of love on the surface and then occasionally being stabbed in the back. And if that's what your childhood was, and that's what you were trained in what love was like I was, then you're going to likely attract that same kind of thing in a mate and then you'll have to outwork it, right? So I married a version of my mother who behaved like in some ways like my mother so that I could say no to my mother and realize I had some very distorted ideas about what love was. That's how life holds us accountable. It will give you an exact recapitulation sometimes of some childhood situation so that you can relive it and go, okay, this is no good. I'm choosing something else because that's what we could not do when we were children. So this is why leaving abusive relationships is so difficult. So in crisis mode, the accountability is like, make a new choice. You're causing this. Oh no, but this is happening to me and this is happening. And yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your contribution? Make a new choice. Survival is, I would say, a lot of the same kinds of themes, victimhood and um, basic personal power stuff. It's just about having more of self-worth than uh, than crisis requires so that you're actually able to make some basic decisions about investing in your future. You know, in survival, you're living hand to mouth, right? Paycheck to paycheck. So that's not an acute way of treating yourself badly, like being in an abusive relationship, but it's a chronic way of treating yourself badly. And so it's another level of self-care that's required. You know, we could look at uh, this whole array, this fall five stages as increasing levels of self-care. And then, okay, congratulations, you get to security. Okay, I can relax. Tomorrow's going to be a lot like today. Okay, cool. Can you care enough about yourself to pursue excellence? To use this as a foundation to see what's possible for you? Or do you just want to keep things the same? That's a different kind of self-care. Pushing yourself to see uh, what you're made of, what's possible for you and risking the failure of that. Because there's no risk of failure in security. You know, right? It's not difficult to get a job at the IRS or whatever and stay there for 35 years. I mean, there's some difficulties, but that's sure. It depends on who you are. But you're not taking a big risk of like, you know, it's not quitting that job and opening up the cafe you always wanted to have uh, you know, with your life savings and hoping that within three years, it's cash flow positive. That's a very different kind of risk. You know? That's the risk of thrival. So then thrival, this is where, to me, it gets really interesting. Because most people would think, well, thrival, that's got to be the top, right? Because that's the American dream. You know, you've got the house and the boat and the trophy wife or husband and, you know, all the stuff you've always wanted. And then what happens? Well, I too 
perhaps like you, thought that that was the final phase until I experienced the upper ends of thrival. I think probably one of the earliest experiences of it was when I got my first black belt in my senior year in college. Because, you know, when you're on this path in a martial art, you know, all these colors and you're always looking at the final test and, oh, yeah, and you have this picture of like, when I'm a black belt, then, you know, and all this stuff, then I'll be powerful, confident, you know, clear headed, focused, you know, all the things that you'd fantasize. And then it happens and you realize, well, some of those things are a little bit true but you're not what you thought. And then I switched martial arts and studied Aikido. I'm like, well, well, this was, you know, okay, that was like a warm up. But the art I really want to master is this other art, Aikido. Well, four years later, I got another black belt. No, it still wasn't, still didn't give me that thing that I wanted. And this is what drove me from basically 18 to 40, 38, 40, to study and master many different models, martial arts, thought models, uh, coaching models, philosophical models, meditations, all sorts of stuff. Because it was this pursuit of, it was a thrival pursuit of, there's someone I want to be, and I'm not that yet. And I got to get it. And I had ideas about how to get it. And so that's what drives one in thrival. And you know, in, for me, it was a state of consciousness. For other people, it might be a certain amount of money. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's just this sense Thrival is governed by this sense that something is out there and I got to go get it. Even if it's in, even if it's you, you're looking, finding yourself, you know, but somehow the energetically we're looking for it out there. Well, if I do this, then I'll find me. If I have this, then I'll find me. If I have that $20 million house on the beach in South Maui, then I'll be happy. Whatever the version of it is, it's a, I need to do something to get something to be something. So what typically happens, and those who are not in thrival or in the bottom levels of thrival, imagine that this is the final phase, right? No, the joke is on all of us. Because the punchline of thrival is that what it looks to me like is either of two things happen. Either you fail at what you're pursuing or you succeed and realize it's not what you wanted. And either way, life holds you accountable in a really sort of paradoxical way. And that is, while it's really important, I think, to discover what you're made of, what you're capable of, the kinds of discomfort you can endure, how hard you can work, how smart you can get, whatever all that stuff is. More, bigger, better, faster, you know, all of that. It's not the final destination because inevitably it causes suffering because the striving is a form of suffering. It's a non-acceptance of where you are because the thrival phase comes from a place of I'm not enough. Now there's a way to grow into, to grow and expand and improve and whatever from a place of I am enough. And many people think they're coming from that place, but they're not. And the way you find out how you've been coming from an I'm not enough place is when you wonderfully, beautifully, and productively fail in thrival. 
Uh, you guys ever seen the movie Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg and Jennifer Aniston? It's one of my favorite movies. I've seen it probably a dozen times. And when, when I tell people about it, I say, it's a movie about failing to become someone you're not. Failing to become someone you're not. So if you haven't seen the movie, it's about uh, a wannabe rock star who becomes an actual rock star, the lead singer in his favorite band. And basically, the, you know, he lives the life of an 80s hairband rock star and it basically destroys him in a lot of ways. And he, he sees the person he becomes and quits. Spoiler alert. Um, but uh, that to me, it's such a beautiful movie. Because in the end, he's reunited. All right, well, yeah, I'm just going to ruin the film for people. <laughs> doesn't really ruin the movie. In the end, he's reunited with his uh, first love because he went back to being who he really was. When he became the rock star, they went apart because he was busy trying to become someone he wasn't. He even changed his name as a symbol of that. And so, predictably, they drifted apart. Well, and he acted like it. Sure. So, and there are a lot of movies like this. And I think that there's something archetypal about this story. The, the wonderful, beautiful, often very necessary failure of becoming someone you're not. I've had a dozen of those. My greatest failures have all been failing to become, trying to become someone I'm not. And then you go, oh, okay, that failed. I guess that wasn't me. Sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's not clear. I've been fired 10 times before I was 39 years old. Every one of those was accountability to saying, no, this isn't you. No, this isn't you. No, this isn't you. No, this isn't you. I'm grateful for every one of them. I didn't enjoy it at the time, but it's so useful. So useful. So when you're delivered to the bottom of, uh, Flow, then the movement from thrival to flow is really interesting. And I could talk for hours about it because I think it's the most um, sophisticated and nuanced one. It's tricky because thrival is all about I. I want this. I'm going to become this. I'm the author of my life. I'm going to have this job. I'm going to have this business. I'm going to be this kind of person. I'm going to have these qualities. I, 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 I. And then life tells you how much of that is actually true. Life gives you the feedback. Life gets you fired. Life causes your wife to leave you or a husband. Life causes your dream house to burn down. Life happens, right? There's that expression, if you want to make God laugh, tell your plans. So thrival is all ego investment. And I don't say ego like in a bad way. It's just the local you personality, which... Not everybody, but I think most people need to follow. You got to go out there and pursue your dreams. But the, the, the joke is on us is that the dreams are not, are not for, not for fulfilling necessarily. They're bait because life doesn't care about you having that boat and that car and that house and whatever. It doesn't care about that. It cares about you growing and changing and evolving. So if you getting that boat and that car and that spouse or whatever will support you growing and evolving, then your hard work will manifest that. If it won't, then your hard work will steer you into the ground and you will crash and burn 
this make sense? See, from life's perspective, if you see it doesn't care about your happiness, it cares about your evolution, then from its perspective, a failure and a success are pretty much the same. It's just looking through the perspective of what can you learn? So when you, you know, uh, when your third marriage fails after, you know, 18 months and you're sad about it, life's not necessarily sad. It's like, okay, cool. Let's see if they get it this time. Right. So it's important to have both the personal, local, personality investment in outcomes and also the macro meta view to realize that your life is about your evolution and your growth from life's perspective. You can work on your happiness, sure, but just don't delude yourself into thinking that life cares because it doesn't. Life cares about expressing through you and sometimes that will make you happy, and sometimes that will make you sad. It doesn't care. Have you noticed? This is why if you dedicate your life to happiness, you automatically create suffering. It's, it's, this, it's like trying to jump in the water and stay dry. You're not going to enjoy your swim if you're committed to staying dry. It's not how it works. And this is a hard thing for people to accept, I think, because we get so much conditioning around, well, I should be happy all the time. Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever heard of anybody like that? Besides, you know, what you intuit uh, or infer from social media where everybody is presenting the best and happiest and most fun parts of themselves? That's the reason why, by the way, social media makes us unhappy is because it adds air into that I should be happy all the time story and then it creates more of a gap between where we are and where we think we should be creating unhappiness I just thought of that makes sense though thanks for listening to manage to engage the clear and open podcast join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.